For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. We have reached chapter 17 in our weekly study through the book of Proverbs. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we reflect together on these wise sayings. Verse 4. A wicked man listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to malicious tongue. This is just genius, right? Straight up genius. Because usually it's the owner of the mouth that's pouring out the lies that, that stands condemned. The lies, the gossip, the slander, the rumors, the false accusations. You blame the person who's saying that. But now the owner of the ears listening is indicted as evil, equally evil, because he's saying that the person who trusts that you're a liar too will tell you lies. A person who I have written down here, it's a, somebody else's words, it's an insult of great proportion for a gossiper to feel safe unloading their mean-spirited talk in your presence. In other words, do not feel like, whoa, I'm special because they've come to me with this juicy little morsel. Uh Uh-uh. It's an insult because they say, here's somebody who lacks moral character, who will never tell me, shh, stop that. That's not right. I don't want to hear any of this. Oh, no, 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 no. They found you for a reason. Because you're going to take it down in, chew it down, digest it, and spit it out and spread it to other people just like they intended. So, you know, the way out of this one is, hey, stop it. I don't want to hear any more. And they'll stop. And they'll find another liar or a different liar. Amen? Ouch. I know. I can't help it. It's a, it, the word of God is active and living and sharp like a sword. I just got cut myself. Verse 5. <laughs> he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Oh, this is a slippery one. So here are two arrogant attitudes that are very tempting for the human heart but must be avoided at all costs. Number one is disdain for the poor. Now, uh, the Proverbs never ridicule poverty or poor people for the sake of poverty and being poor. Sometimes uh, the behavior that has gotten them into poverty is ridiculed and called out as foolish. Uh, Lazy people, um, uh, the gambling spirit, the scam artist kind of approach to life, um, the drunkards, the, these kinds of people uh, God calls out. But he also acknowledges in the Bible that many, uh, there are many causes of poverty, injustice, and all kinds of reasons. Uh, nobody's lazy in a sweatshop in Bangladesh where they are paid $1 a day to make 80% of Europe's garments in Bangladesh. And those ladies are sewing day and night. They're not lazy. They're poor, right? So whether it's a Bangladeshi lady or the guy holding the sign right around the corner here who's poor, it really doesn't matter. You cannot show contempt for a human being who is made 
in God's image. Whatever his income is, and quite frankly, however it's coming about, he is still made in the image of God, and God takes it personally when we snub our noses and insult those who bear his image. And that, my friend, is why, even before the law of Moses came, he said, if anyone kills man by the state, by the hand of man, shall he lose his life because he has lifted a weapon to the image of the most high God. So here's this, just like whether it's a, a rich person or a poor person, guess what? Uh, they're both by God's design and you need to show that kind of respect. And the second bad attitude, so the, the first one is an arrogant attitude and disdain uh, for the poor, but the second one is now an arrogant attitude um, that gloats when, when your enemy stumbles. And it doesn't even have to be an enemy. Now, uh, we have this terrible, another wart on the human heart, a tendency to find a bit of joy in the misfortune of others. Oh, that is, that puts the U-G-L-Y in the word ugly. Uh, that is just awful. Oh, to rejoice when, and, and they don't have to be an enemy. We just sort of kind of feel like, well, I, I'm, I'm being lifted up now, or I'm, uh, whatever sick reason it is, but uh, he's getting what he deserves, or it's about time. Uh, I didn't like her anyway, and all of this stuff. And I like where it says in Proverbs 24, don't let your heart rejoice when your enemy stumbles, lest God turn his attention away from them implying, and then to you. So in other words, maybe God needs to chastise somebody. He's number 34 on the list of God needing to get a hold of. And you know, by your attitude, you're going to knock yourself into to number 35 uh, right on the list. You, you really don't want to do that. Like, uh, amen? amen? Verse 6. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. So here's the importance of, of family. And wisdom realizes how we're all interconnected. That the husband who acts wisely is an investment to children who will look back upon him with pride and, his, and their mother as well, and also the joy of generational wisdom. And so uh, this is a shout out to one's grandchildren and the joy that grandchildren bring in a godly generation of families uh, is one week too late because last week I was all about my uh, children's children. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there are children and children's children being held there, little Xander Isaiah, right? And, and just, I know you want to see other pictures, so here we go. <laughs> Children's children. Listen, it's in the text. I am not forcing this. All right. What is it? It says children's children are a joy to the aged. And I guess that makes me aged. But yeah. Okay. Moving on. Okay. Children. My children's children is a joy. You see? One more time. Okay. All right. I don't think there's another one, but there might be. What? 
All right. That is our little Xander, right? And I mean our church family as well. Thank you for Xander's picture. So the second part is the same joy and pride that grandparents have with uh, their grandbabies. Children reflect back on wise parents with the same kind of joy. So in short, he's saying to his son, he's saying, aim in life for the clean joy of familial love, respect, and admiration that it continues throughout generations. Do not grow up, Rehoboam, to be a dirty old man, a dirty old man who does not enjoy and cannot enjoy and does not deserve the admiration and breaks the chain of this beautiful thing. Or uh, a man who has gotten rich at ill-gotten gain or barking out profanity or under the sway of his passions. That's the idea here. Verse seven. This is interesting. Arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler. He's saying, listen, when you look at somebody who's talking uh, in foolish ways, it's so unbecoming. It doesn't, those kinds of lips don't even look good on a foolish person. How much more unsuitable and not fitting and ugly is that sin on somebody who we expect to be mature spiritually, like a leader or somebody who has Christian maturity? You know, that kind of sin looks uh, terrible on, uh, on the person who's sinning, but we kind of expect it, but it looks terrible. If you put that sin on somebody else that you, like a Christian, if lying and pride looks horrible on an unbeliever, how does it look on a, on a Christian? That's the idea there. Verse eight, a bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. Now, at first glance, you may be thinking he's saying something positive about bribing people. He's saying it works. But what the commentary, sad and pathetic that it is, is the state of the fallen world and the depravity of every human heart that no matter where you go and what you do, at every level of society, a bribe works because people love money more than truth. And so it happens all over the place. A bribe is to offer money, favor, or a gift to get an unfair or illegal or immoral gain of some kind. It was strictly outlawed in God's law, Exodus 23 and verse 8. And in coming up in verse 23 of this chapter, it will be just put out there for what it is. Now, for example, if you wanted some time or influence with, say, the Secretary of State of a major country like the United States of America, and you simply wanted to donate perhaps millions of dollars to a, to an, uh, to a foundation, all right? And, 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 and lo and behold, you got your meeting, and you also got what you were after, the favor you were after. That would be called a bribe. All right. So don't do that. All right? Don't, don't be like that. And so bribes work anytime, every time, at every level, because everyone has a price, or so it seems. Really, the question is this. Do you have a price? Most people do. Verse 9. 
He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So wisdom for friendships and marriages to flourish or, or fail. Now, there are serious sins that we must always expose um, because it says so, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them to the light. Ephesians uh, of chapter five and verse 11. So we're not talking about a common sense stuff. We don't sweep those kinds of things under the rug. Uh, and sometimes uh, relationships divide over legitimate concerns. False doctrine, uh, Paul tells Titus, warn a heretic. A heretic is somebody who perverts the word of God. Warn a heretic once, warn him twice, and then have nothing to do with them. So, yeah, we don't promote love over doctrine and moral issues and the word of God. However, when he's talking offense, he's talking about all the dumb 99% things that happen with hurt feelings, insensitive people, rude uh, misunderstandings, all the stuff of life that um, we uh, get in trouble with. And so what he's saying is, is, is that those things are to be covered over. Uh, the word here for offense is really a minor a little uh, problem about selfishness or that kind of thing that happens because people are immature or broken, right? So uh, he says, let it go. Let it go. Look the other way. Is this the hill you want to die on? Really, seriously, just stop. Just, just cover it over. Let it go. The unwise person is the one who keeps harping on the past. And if I had a dollar for every time that I've used that in marriage counseling over 30 years now, stop harping on the past. Now, if it's not resolved, and there are consequences that are hanging in the balance and need to be taken care of, that's one thing. But that's not usually the case. The case is, listen, it's done. Never mention it again. Let it die. God put it in a sea of forgetfulness and you keep remembering it. If God is saying, I don't know what you're talking about because he willed himself to forget sins that were repented of and confessed, they're gone. He says, I, they're behind my back and we keep bringing them out. There are some things that just need to, the best therapy for, for some things is to pray together, confess it out, have communion together and then never Talk about it again. That's the yeah. best. That's some, somehow, sometimes the, the only thing you can do. It's just too bad, too terrible, too complicated. The best thing is to put the blood of Jesus over that thing and just hitch it to some raft and put it down some river. Hopefully it goes down the Niagara. <laughs> Verse 10. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of a fool. So here's an observation. Really, being teachable is like Proverbs' top requirement for anybody who's going to be wise. So you have to have humility to be corrected. So how you receive correction will always tell you, uh, reveals your character, whether you're wise or whether you're a fool. So uh, we've seen this before. So we want to be teachable. Uh, son, which sounds better? Here's the question. The momentary unpleasantness of swallowing your pride and being corrected or 
a thousand lashes. There are some people, their whole world will come apart if they have to admit they didn't know it, they didn't know something, or that they were wrong. Their whole world will come apart if they have to admit that. That, my friend, will keep you stuck in fool, stuck in stupid, stuck in immaturity for a long, long time. Amen? Amen. All right, that's just the way it is. Verse 11. An evil man is bent only on rebellion. A merciless official will be sent against him. Now, you know, if God says, if you do A, then here's what's going to happen to you. Something's going to happen and there'll be no mercy. It's just going to be a brick wall and you're, that thing is going to be dealt with. And so the sure path to pain is a rebellious spirit because uh, rebellion is what turned the, the Lucifer into the devil. Now, when a heart is bent on rebelling, it rebels against parents, it rebels against teachers, against coaches. You know, the coach has it out for me and all of this, and the youth pastor hates me, and, you know, the law and the police are the problem, and my supervisor at work and my employer always, always, always rebellion. And God has only one remedy for that kind of person, and it's a brick wall. And he says, I'm going to snuff that out to death. And there'll be no mercy. Why? Because you can't be saved and be that kind of person. So God's going to have to come after that and break it. I'd rather just wave the white flag before God sends some merciless servant to snuff something out in me. Verse 12, amen? Amen. Five-star proverb. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. (laughs) Now, you know, God has a sense of humor. Now, this is one of those no-brainer choices, right? Uh, To stay away from fools. So he's going to, I just want to ask the question, anybody in here ever meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs, you're going to kind of in the middle, and she looks at you as if you had something to do with it. Anybody here ever find yourself? That's good, because you pretty much find yourself dead in that kind of situation. Well, the Holy Spirit said, if you had a choice to be the guy on that trail that stumbles in between a she-bear frothing up on her hind legs, looking at you like, what you do with my kids, all right? And you suddenly hear something behind you, and it's your two little cubs playing behind you, right? And you're in between. God says, if, if that's your choice, or being in a car with some idiot who just had too much to drink, and he's got a weapon or a knife, go with the bear, Go with the bear. You stand a better chance with the beast than with a human being who's pumped up with fool power. Fueled with fool. (laughs) Not good. Moving on, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. I said this to a couple. Love it. I know where they were sitting. This is 15 years ago. I know which room we were in, and the guy looks at me. I said this. 
starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. Because they just love to, to, to bicker all the time. So I was just saying, when you start to feel it happening, and it's pretty obvious, you're, you, you know, you start, somebody gets louder or somebody gets softer. You just know, right? So, or your heart starts pounding, your blood pressure goes up. You know. Or, you know, mama's doing the dishes, and then suddenly mama's doing the dishes loudly. You know, Every, the dish is going down loud or the cupboard door is loudly shut. We know. Drop the matter. This isn't rocket science. It's not the time to go to therapy and pay $125 an hour to get in touch with your inner child. Drop the matter. Just stop. Oh, no, no, no. It's a matter of principle. Oh, then you deserve it. You deserve to let the damn bust wide open. You want to see what it looks like? Go ahead, go ahead. You didn't have the wisdom to stop the problem before it started. Just stop it. Don't you have the foresight? Don't you have the discernment to see where this is going? And, and nine times out of 10, for no good reason, you're gonna do that for no good reason. It's principle. That person deserves that right there because maybe once or twice with that, you'll start to figure out that God said, you know what? Just drop the matter. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Whatever that meant. 15, verse 15. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So... The reason the Lord detests them both is not only because they're a miscarriage of justice and God is just and God is all about justice, but when you punish the innocent and let the evildoer off the hook, ultimately it destroys the fabric of society. If right is wrong and wrong is right, what do you have left? There's only one thing you have left in a world where wrong is applauded and honored is right and honored. Wrong is not just excused. It's put up on a pedestal as follow that. That's the right way to go. And the right is told you're evil. The right thing, the moral thing, the decent thing is evil. There's only one word that comes after a society that has that as its characteristic. And that one word is Armageddon because there's nothing left. So, guess what? Keep your eye above <laughs> because there's one word left. It's called the rapture of the church. It's called the Antichrist who appears. It's called seven years of great tribulation. And it's called the return of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Coming to a neighborhood near you. All right, verse 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? All right, so here's, here's, here's the deal with this one. It pulls the excuse, the rug out from underneath the fool for any excuse for why he remains foolish, all right? Um, it's not because of uh, a lack of money. I mean, he can have money for a college education, um, counseling or therapy or whatever he needs. The funds are there, but they're useless because he doesn't want the wisdom. 
you see. So it's just saying, even in the ancient world, they had to pay for their education. And so he's saying, don't be fooled into thinking it's all because they lack opportunity. A foolish person is foolish because they are willfully foolish. And it doesn't matter if you put them through or you you pay for uh, tutoring or anything like that. If the heart is not on board, then uh, it's a waste of time. Verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born uh, for adversity. Well, uh, I told you there's some bell ringers here. This is a good one. Um, Wise people know you can't do life alone. And so here the friend, brother are the same people. A friend, a brother, they're speaking of that same celebration of a special person in your life who sticks with you through thick and thin. You know, it could be a childhood friend. It could be, um, I've got a childhood friend. I mean, it's sort of, it's, I carry the relationship, but uh, it doesn't matter to me because there's just a warm thing about, it's just my childhood world is wrapped around that person in the neighborhood, and I loved his parents, and his parents kind of adopted me and in the family. Uh, but we still exchange uh, texts here and there uh, for going on 45 years. So that's a long time. Uh, school friends, college friends, best friends, big brother, kid, sister, a spouse, that kind of person who kind of, they get us, they know us, they like us. You know, a lot of people love us, but how many people like being around you? You know, they just like you for warts and all. And so the application here is, is not so much, isn't it nice to have somebody like that? And isn't it nice to be somebody like that? And I'll tell you what, I have a few people like that that I feel I am that way to them, right? And I'm happy. I'm happier in some ways than being on the other end of, of having that person who sticks by my side. I'd, I get more joy out of being the person who is the friend to the other person because I think that that's what the point here is actually is telling him to do. Verse 18 when, uh, now it says, a man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Uh, a repeated theme here, never, ever, ever to, um, to guarantee debt of another. Uh, it, it was your, a stranger in, in Proverbs chapter six, and now it's somebody you know. Just 100% day or night, 24-7, never, never co-sign for anybody, period, in the Bible. It says that's a bad idea. Now, if you want to be generous, give them the money, if you have it, if it doesn't impact you. Loan them the money, no, no interest, but loan only what you can afford to loan and don't mind losing it, right? So, and if they pay back, they pay back and you don't care, right? So it's not to discourage generosity or helping, but it's to discourage you from not thinking with your head, but thinking with your heart and putting your financial well-being at the discretion of somebody else. That's not smart to do. Verse 19, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites instruction. Two bad qualities that will invite trouble. 
number one, arrogance that loves to quarrel, to pick a fight, to be, uh, you actually like to bicker. So you hear something that's not quite right and you have to answer it. You play the devil's advocate. You enjoy drama, hand-to-hand combat verbally. You're one of those kinds of gals or guys that likes to just get into it with everybody, right about everything. You're quick to correct, quick to disagree, quick to debate. That's what you like. And then, then the wisdom is, let's call it for what it really is to help you stop doing that. Let's call it that you don't just love to debate You love sin because the kind of thing that you're doing always produces brokenness, hurt feelings, division, uh, all of that thing. So so if you love to quarrel, I don't, I know people, they seem to love to quarrel. They just, they grew up that way. I don't know. There always has to be drama and quarreling and bickering about everything. I'll, I'll ask a couple, why did you even get married? You know, you could have saved yourself a lot of trouble. I mean, or did you pick someone that you didn't like? You know, why all of the quarreling? It just is just sinful. He who builds in the second bad uh, quality that will always invite trouble is showing off how much stuff you have. So, you know, building a house on a high hill in Jerusalem terraces, okay, and in the gated community, and you have all your security walls, right, and you build high, high gates, and and what is it telling the troublemakers? It's telling the troublemakers, there's something behind this wall worth climbing for. And so that's the problem there, is, is that the person who's showing it off is the person who's inviting somebody to come and get it. So don't be so pretentious uh, with your uh, stuff. Verse 20, a man of perverse heart does not prosper. He whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. This is an easy one. Proverbs always saying, bad thinking, bad behavior. Right thinking, right behavior. And so here it's wicked ways and wicked words lead always to trouble. Verse 21. To have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. Verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So uh, over and over again, we see a strong connection between psychological, emotional well-being and our physical health. You cannot get away with it, from it, I should say. So How do you keep your inner life straight and healthy? You have to take charge up there. You have to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. And you do that not with your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. You listen to the word of God, and you have a filter. So when something comes in that's not true, you correct it. How else can you uh, avoid being depressed You serve others. Get out of your own world. Friendships, fellowship with Christians, Christian music, doing the right thing, walking and talking with God. This is how you keep your inner life healthy. Keep your inner health life healthy or your bones, your body, your health, your mental health. Another key, that double life thing, guilt, 
the energy it takes to try to put up a front of somebody you're not. Just be a broken Christian with a lot of problems. It's okay. That's what I am. That's what everybody here is. So let's just admit it. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. And you don't have to have it, oh, how you doing, brother? Praising him. You know? <laughs> I went to a church like that. I almost had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> We'd be driving in the car. The kids would be fussing and fighting and us turning around, throwing things at them. And just kidding. <laughs> And then just uh, Barb and I just talking and pressure with the kids. And we pull up to church and open the door, just uh, say, hey, how's it going, brothers? Going, got the victory. <laughs> That's like, so do I. <laughs> and I'm a liar. <laughs> Take care of your inner life, man. Take care of it. Verse 23, a wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. Now, hmm, usually it's the one bribing that the word calls out. Now it's the guy who says, hey, I didn't ask for it. Oh, he just wanted to do me a favor. I ain't deposited that. I didn't even ask him to do it, right? It's that guy, the Bible says, wicked, wicked, wicked. You're an enabler. You didn't come up with the idea but you accepted it and you partnered with them and you're just as guilty as the one who offered the bribe in the first place. Why do people bribe? Number one, to fast track things, to fast track a long permit or an application. Just we need time, 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 time. Does this help? Does this help? That's a bribe. Number two, to make a long process more convenient. Uh, number three, to avoid losing profit. Number four, to avoid losing your personal freedom. Judge. How about this nice new car? <laughs> uh, number five, to, to throw a game or a fight or a race so that you can make some money. Number six, cover up some shame or misdeed or hush money. If you tell, if you don't tell, I'll give you this. Okay, I won't tell. You're as wicked as the person who bribed you to be quiet. To make a windfall, you know, of course, that's the obvious. He says, don't be like that, son. Don't be the one giving the bribe and don't be the one taking the bribe. Uh, verse 24, a discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. I like this one. It's funny in a sad kind of way. Uh, and what sets the fool and the wise person apart is focus. Now, the Christian, the believer, wisdom is the focus of God's people. I and you, you and I are always thinking things like, was that the right thing to say? What's smart to do right now? Is this going to honor God? Should I be watching this? Should I have said that? Uh, what should I be doing right now? Right? You're always thinking. Christians are always thinking wisdom, righteousness. Temptation comes in your mind. You're, you're, you're right there. You're focused. That's the wise person. But the foolish person, they're distracted. They're, they're, they're all over the place. They're to the ends of the earth. It's, it's, uh, it's 
running after every whim, every prompt, every, every biting on every bait, chasing after fantasies, reacting on every uh, irritation. Uh, there's no focus. You know, they've got a bucket list. They've got 300 things they want to do, right? Uh, they want to have uh, dinner in Italy and have this, and they want to climb a mountain, and they want to, 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 to perform this and that and the other thing. Not one thing on the list is like get saved, you know? There's 300 things. Now, if you get saved, make a bucket list and have fun and make sure God is on board in the bucket, right? <laughs> but if God's not in your bucket, you're a fool. You're going to have the time of your life, then die and stand before God and die the second death, right? So this is what he's saying. Focus is the difference between a wise person and a foolish one. Verse 25, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. There it is again. Verse 26, it is not good to punish an innocent man or to flog officials for their integrity. This is so embarrassing that it's in the Bible. How sad to live in, in a world where God has to tell us, don't hurt innocent people and don't inflict pain on good people. How sad to be part of a human race that has to be commanded to praise their maker, command it, and command it against bowing down to things that you create and worshiping them. How sad that he has to say, I command you, do not murder somebody. That's sad. <laughs> that is a sad commentary that he has to tell us. Thou shalt not take what that doesn't belong to you. What is that saying? All of these commands, they're necessary because we want to do exactly the opposite of what he's commanding us. Just this one is just saying, we are all caps lost, but for the grace of God, amen? amen. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 27, two more. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even tempered. Love this one. Now, a wise person keeps themselves from a couple of excess, excess things right here. Uh, they are in control of themselves. So excessive words. Um, when there are too many words, uh, you're just begging for trouble. You're going to you're stumble. James says this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Jesus, our Lord, just told us, just so you know, every careless word that comes out of your mouth will be fair game on judgment day. Every careless word in your whole life. Oh, I wasn't even paying attention, Lord. I was just talking to talk. I wasn't even aware. I was walking down the hallway. I'm not paying attention. I'm like uh, just talking. I just muttered it. Fair game. I want to talk to you about it. That ought to make us just like, okay, maybe I should slow it down just a little bit right here. A man of understanding is even tempered. So the other thing is, is to be cool-headed. 
Cool-headed, excessive emotion is foolish. We should be even-tempered. And the word there is cool-headed. Fear of, uh, what helps you to be cool-headed? Because it's a pretty uptight world. Number one, you walk with the Lord. When, when you fear the Lord, when you come, know that you're gonna come under his evaluation. When you review the cross and what Jesus accomplished on that cross and the agony of his death on your behalf, when you know that you don't have anything good to offer God, there's nothing good, the apostle said, in here except the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've got compassion for others. You're trusting in the Lord. That kind of person, that kind of person is chill. That kind of person is just like, he, he, he's not a hothead. He's relaxed. He gives grace. And we end on verse 28, last one. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Now, that's a funny little one. I think it's hilarious. He's saying uh, wise people and fools can only be identified once they open their mouths. <laughs> now, he, he's saying, listen, if you want to keep people guessing, if you are a fool, you could just do so by just being quiet and nobody will know. Now, think about it. You go to a wedding and you see the wedding party up here. They, they're all shiny. They clean up quite nicely. Everybody looks so wonderful, right? Nobody knows anything about it. You cannot tell who's wise and who's a fool, who's a believer and who's not until the reception. That is when you can know. And all you have to do is open a little champagne, right? And all you have to do is walk around. I've been to hundreds of weddings. That's part of my job. And I go to weddings. And you just listen. And then once the conversation starts, the gossiping or profanity or coarse joking and all the things that, that validate the fact that this person uh, could be a fool, you know? Now, the person who, who's in a suit, who goes about quietly at the reception, just kind of laughing and holding himself well, you know, nodding his head, not saying anything, you know? Everybody thinks, well... What a nice guy John is, right? That's just the way. And so if, if he takes this advice, he's no longer such a complete fool, right? Now, keeping your mouth closed isn't the cure for being a fool, right? <laughs> it's very helpful to camouflage your foolishness, uh, but the real cure is, of course, is to repent of those kinds of foolish things and get the Lord uh, on board. But, uh, you know, it's really, it's a smart thing to do is to uh, restrain your words. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you now uh, for all of these proverbs. and Some of them have uh, hit closer home than others. We pray that you'd be um, pleased to help us to grab onto these truths and put them into practice so we can be blessed and a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.